Well, good morning to each of you, and greetings in Jesus' name this morning. I want to echo what Jason mentioned about the snow this morning, and uh, there were a few of you that just jumped in and helped figure out figure out what needed to be done and made it happen. So thanks to each of you and all those of you who have taught Sunday school this morning and had a part in the service here. So this morning, I'd like to uh, share a bit about Hezekiah. Um, this has been on my mind for a while, and you know, God, there's a reason God lays something on your mind to preach about, I believe. It's probably for each one of us, but uh, probably mostly for the preacher. So hopefully this morning you can be blessed and encouraged and uh, that God would speak to you through the life of Hezekiah. I'd like to, to look here in the Old Testament. There are several, several places in the Old Testament where it talks about Hezekiah. And I don't know how many fingers you have, a few. You can stick your fingers in at different places here because we'll be going back and forth. Uh, the first is uh, Second Chronicles, starting in, in chapter 29. That's, that's the one account. The second account is Isaiah 36 to 39. And then the third is Second Kings 18 to 20. <clears throat> so we'll look at a few of the verses as we, as we look at these different accounts and see what we can learn from the life of, of Hezekiah this morning. So I'd like to go through the story here. Is it a fascinating story of how we see, look at Hezekiah's family and Hezekiah's choices and the nation of Judah and how, how throughout life Hezekiah made some really good choices, but he also got caught up in his successes. <clears throat> so let's look at the, the background here of Hezekiah. Where did Hezekiah come from? Where maybe you know the story well, maybe it's a story you've uh, read a few times, don't remember a lot of details, but I'd like to look at his father. In uh, Second Chronicles chapter 28, it talks about Ahaz. In uh, the first verse, it says, Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. But he did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord like David his father. For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, and he also made molten images for Balaam, wherever he burnt incense in the valley of the sons of Hinnon, and burnt his children in the fire after the abominations of the heathen, then whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. He sacrificed also and burnt incense in the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. So this is uh, Hezekiah's father. This is the kind of man that he was. When we look at the last part of chapter 28 of Second Chronicles, <clears throat> in verse 22, it, it talks more about, about him and his idolatry. It says, In the time of his distress did he trespass yet more against the Lord. Instead of the hard times of, of the nation bringing him to God, he trespassed more. He sacrificed unto the gods of Damascus, which smote him, and he said, Because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them. In other words, my, the gods of my conquerors are helping them. Therefore, I'm going to sacrifice to them that they may help me. Then it closes, verse 23, But they were the ruin of him and of all Israel. 
And then it talks in verse 24 of Ahaz gathering together the vessels of the house of God and, and ruining the house of God, shut up the doors, and made him altars in every corner of Jerusalem. And in every, and in every several city of Judah, he made high places to burn incense unto other gods and provoked to anger the Lord God of his father. And it's interesting in the last few verses of that chapter how, how they buried Ahaz when he passed away. It says, Ahab slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city, even in Jerusalem, but they brought him not into the sepulchres of the kings of Israel, and Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his stead. So Ahaz was so bad, he was not even buried with the kings. <clears throat> So that is the background of Hezekiah. He grew up in that environment. That's what he saw. That's what he observed. And I can only imagine what was going through his mind. But he turned to God when he became king. In, in uh, chapter 29 of Chronicles, it says Hezekiah became, became king at age 25. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. Verse 2, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that David his father had done. And then verse 3 is very interesting. It says, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, so this was priority number one for him when he became king, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. And then it goes down through talking about all that he did. Um, he was a restorer. And, and his goal was to bring uh, the people of Judah back to God. We see in verse 10, it says, Now it is in mine heart to make a covenant with the Lord, God of Israel, that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. So he looked at the sins of his father in the state of Israel and said, That's not, God's not blessing that situation, and we need to turn back to him <clears throat> his goal was to bring it back to not improve on what his father Ahaz had done but to bring the children of Judah back to God <clears throat> and then chapter 29 verses 28 to 29 it says then all the congregation worshiped and the singers sang and the trumpeters sounded and all this continued until the burnt offering was finished and when they had made an end of offering, the king and all they that were present with him bowed themselves and worshipped. So he brought the children of Judah to worship. Just an amazing uh, transformation of what his father Ahaz had done and what he had created. In verse 36 of chapter 29, I know I'm jumping through this quickly, but we would be here for two hours reading all the accounts. So in verse 33, it said, And the consecrated things were 600 oxen and 3,000 sheep. And it talks in previous verses about more animals. So this was a big deal. A lot of animals were killed for sacrifice. Verse 36, it says, And Hezekiah rejoiced in all the people that God had prepared the people for this thing was done suddenly. I believe it was a quick happening. They, they got right with God and came back to, to worship him. <clears throat> And then in verse, in chapter 30, it talks about celebrating the Passover. 
And in verse 23 of chapter 30 in Second Chronicles, it says the whole assembly took counsel to keep other seven days, and they kept other seven days with gladness. So they added on to their seven days of feasting and <clears throat> making offerings and confession to the Lord God of their fathers in verse 22, and they added another seven days in verse 23, and it says that they did it with gladness. So this event of repenting and confessing was doubled. The time was doubled. And it goes on to also, in, in the following verses there, I won't read all of that. But in verse 26 it says, So there was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there was not the like in Jerusalem. And the priest, the Levites, arose and blessed the people and their voice was heard and their prayer and this is interesting i don't know that the words here quite grasp what actually happened but it says their prayer came up to his holy dwelling place even unto heaven and i imagine here that the the heart of god was touched he he watched ahaz and he watched hezekiah and he watched what was going on here as he looked down from heaven but I believe when it talks about the prayer coming up to his holy dwelling place, I think he was touched by what he saw, and he accepted their, their sacrifice. <clears throat> and then in uh, chapter 31, it says, it starts out the chapter, and it says, now when all this was finished, and then we go on to read that they destroyed the idols, um, they just didn't leave any, any trace of idolatry around. They, they, they all went out. It was, it's interesting to me. They went and worshipped God and then went and destroyed all their idols. <clears throat> if we turn to Second uh, Kings chapter 18, it has a, a bit more detail here of how it went. In Second Kings 18, verse 4, it says, He removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto these those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Nehushtan. So I don't know if, if, uh, if we realize how long that serpent stayed around. It stayed around through the days of Moses, of course, uh, through the times of Joshua, and the judges, <coughs> through the reign of Saul, David, Solomon, this brazen serpent was still there, and they were burning incense to it, and he, and he dealt with that, and he got rid of it. Very interesting. So I lost my place here. <clears throat> Okay, so he got rid of that, and he said in verse 5, He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that there were none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. And then verse 7, The Lord was with him. He prospered whithersoever he went, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and served him not. So they were under control of the Assyrians, and I don't know what all that looked like, but I'm sure that they had to pay taxes and and the, the king of Assyria had benefit from having conquered <clears throat> Judah. And so he stopped serving the king of Assyria. So quite a, quite a wonderful um, story up to, up to this point. 
So Second Chronicles, turn back to Second Chronicles chapter 32. <coughs> It says, after these things, and this was 14 years into Hezekiah's reign, after these things, and then we see problems begin to pop up. Seems uh, the king of Assyria was not very happy about this, and he decided he wanted Jerusalem back. He wanted the, the land of Judah back, so he, he went after them. Um, we won't turn there, but in 2 Kings, it describes the king of Assyria taking over some of the cities, and Hezekiah gave Syria, he, he, he tried to negotiate with the king of Assyria and said, you know, what do I need to give you? And he ended up giving him silver and gold, actually gold off the doors of the temple, and uh, took money out of his own treasury to pay the king of Syria. But still the king of Assyria was not to be trusted and broke his treaty and attacked him again. And so let's turn to Isaiah chapter 36. <clears throat> this gives a little bit more detail about the account of how the king of Assyria came up against him. And I find this, this exchange between the Assyrians and Hezekiah to be very interesting. The king of Assyria sent Rabshakeh from Lachish to Jerusalem unto king Hezekiah with a great army. This is in chapter 36 of Isaiah, verse 2. And he stood by the conduit of the upper pool and the highway of the fuller's field. And, and so Rabshakeh starts to talk with, with the, the, um, the children of Israel here. And, and he's saying, why, in verse 4, he said, What confidence in this wherein thou trusteth? I say, saith thou, but they are but vain words. I have counsel and strength for war. Now on whom dost thou trust that thou rebellest against me? Verse 7, But if thou say to me, We trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and said to Judah and to Jerusalem, Ye shall worship before the, this altar? Now therefore give pledges, I pray thee, to my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give thee two thousand horses, if thou be on thy part, able on thy part to set riders upon them. And he goes on to, to try to convince the, the Hezekiah's people to not listen to him. Verse 16 in chapter 36, he says, Hearken not to Hezekiah, for thus saith the king of Assyria, Make an agreement with me by present and come out to me. And then we'll go down to verse 18. Beware, lest Hezekiah persuade you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Hath any of the gods of the nations delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? And he's, he begins to question the gods of the nations that they have already taken. Verse 20, who are they among all the gods of these lands that they have delivered their land out of my hand, that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? But they held their peace and answered him not a word, for the king's commandment was saying, answer him not. Then Eliakim and Shebna and Joah came to Hezekiah with their clothes rent and told him what? was going on. 
So then we look at Isaiah chapter 37 and verse 14. And it's very interesting. Uh, the king of Assyria sent Hezekiah a letter basically saying, you need to submit to us. And Hezekiah was very troubled about this letter. And he took it before the Lord. In verse 14, Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up unto the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And he prayed, saying, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, that dwellest between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. Thou hast made heaven and earth. And he goes on, he asked God to incline his ear, to open his eyes, and to hear the words of Sennacherib. And he goes on to ask for deliverance. We won't, we won't read through that prayer. And I think it's neat how Hezekiah received this and, and he rent his clothes and laid out the letter before the Lord and said, God, what, what do we do with this? He, he turned to God. We just see such a blessing to see a king of Judah respond to an enemy in this way. <coughs> and then let's turn to the end of chapter 37 in Isaiah. And in, in verse 35, this is the Lord talking. He says, For I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. And I believe this has to do with the, the prayers and the confessions of the people reaching the throne of God. And then verse 36, And the angel of the Lord went forth and smote in the camp of the Assyrians one hundred and four score and five thousand, a hundred and eighty-five thousand people, soldiers. And when they rose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, returned and went, departed and went and returned and dwelt in Nineveh. And it came to pass as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, that his sons, two sons, smote him with the sword, and they escaped into the land of Armenia, and Esther had done, his son reigned in his stead. And it was all over, just like that in one night. All the Assyrians were gone. And so if you can imagine up to this point in Hezekiah's life, it, it was probably pretty difficult to have the nerve to upend everything that his father had done. All these people were following his father and worshiping idols, and he brought them back to God, and he, he restored, restored uh, the house of God, got rid of all the idols, and then was threatened by the king of Assyria, and God delivered them from the Assyrians, wiped out the army. And all, all these miracles. And you would think at this point in life, Hezekiah would know, right, who God is and to honor and worship him. And, and uh, all the gifts that he, he had been given by God would have a, be a blessing to him. But here's where it becomes dangerous for Hezekiah. Let's look at Second Chronicles, uh, chapter thirty-two. These verses tell us a little bit about what happened to Hezekiah after the Syrians were destroyed. <clears throat> 
So in in Second uh, Chronicles chapter thirty-two, verse twenty-three, it says they brought gifts, and many brought gifts unto the Lord to Jerusalem and presents to Hezekiah the king of Judah, so that he was magnified in the sight of all nations from henceforth. So when you uh, look through a magnifying glass or a, uh, a telescope, what you see gets really big, doesn't it? It looks bigger than what it actually is. And I believe Hezekiah began to look bigger than what he actually was. And Hezekiah began to think he was a bit bigger than what he actually was. So I believe if history gives us any indication of what was beginning to happen in Hezekiah's heart, history would teach us that a person's spiritual state is inversely proportional to the level of material success and popularity. And I can only imagine that God saw this coming and... It was maybe God's grace that Hezekiah was going to die soon after that. Let's look at uh, 2 Kings chapter 20. This is where Hezekiah gets sick. 2 Kings chapter 20 in the first, see, in the first few verses here. It says, Hezekiah was sick unto death. Now, I know when some of us men get sick, we think we're pretty sick unto death and we act like it, and, and we're, we're pretty uh, helpless. But Hezekiah was sick unto death, and, and Isaiah um, comes to Hezekiah and tells him to get his house in order. So here's Hezekiah. He's 39 years old. He's had this wonderful time of leading the children of Judah back to God for 14 years, and he had the Syrians come against him, and God wiped them out. And it had to be pretty hard for him to think about dying at this point because life had been pretty good <clears throat> up to this point. And I believe we want to live when times are good. When times aren't as good, we may welcome moving on from this world. But Hezekiah wanted to live, and it says here in the first few verses, Hezekiah was sick unto death, and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thy house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Then he turned his face towards the wall and prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. And it came to pass, before Israel was gone, Isaiah was gone out into the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Turn again and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will heal thee. On the third day thou shalt go up into the house of the Lord. And I will add to thy days fifteen years, and will deliver thee and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend the city for mine own sake and for thy servant David's sake. And so it talks about, <clears throat> the next verse says, Take a lump of figs, and they took it and laid it on the boil, and he recovered. Other than that, we don't know what Hezekiah was dealing with, but we do know that he was going to die. And Hezekiah asked a sign from God that <clears throat> the sundial, the shadow of the sundial, go backwards 10 degrees 
and it, it happened. I don't know why God allowed Hezekiah to live, but he did. He gave him what he wanted, whether it was good or not. We'll, we'll go on here with the story. I believe God knew a bit what was going on in his heart. Let's take a look at 2 Chronicles <clears throat> chapter 32. Second Chronicles chapter 32, verse 25, no, 27. It talks a bit about Hezekiah's wealth. Now, to, up to this point, we don't know much about his wealth other than he had a lot to give um, the king of Assyria to try to make peace with him or stay out of trouble with him. But it, it talks here about his wealth. It says in verse 27, And Hezekiah had exceeding great riches, exceeding much riches and honor. And he made himself treasuries for silver, for gold, for precious stones, for spices, for shields, and for all manner of pleasant jewels. Verse 28, storehouses also for increase of corn and wine and oil and stalls for all manner of beasts and coats for flocks. Moreover, he provided them cities and possessions of flocks and herds in abundance, for God had given him substance very much. So God blessed him so much he had to build facilities to hold all that God had blessed him with. And verse 30, the same Hezekiah also stopped the upper watercourse of Gihon and brought it straight down to the west side of the city of David. And Hezekiah prospered in all his works, which, which that, that whole, um, that uh, moving around the watercourse was it's, he, he built an aqueduct basically so they could bring water in when they were under siege by the enemy. And it's considered a, one of the, the old amazing engineering feats of, of Bible times. <clears throat> so we look at verse 31. It says, Howbeit in the business of the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon who sent unto him to inquire of the wonder that was done in the land, God left him to try him that he might know all that was in his heart. And this is the sin of Hezekiah that, that we hear about. We, we know this story. Uh, let's turn back to 2 Kings chapter 20. I believe Hezekiah's excitement over his wealth and weaponry sort of betrayed his heart and that he was be, had begun to trust in his things rather than God. <clears throat> In chapter 20, verse 12, it talks about the king of Babylon sending letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that Hezekiah had been sick. <coughs> and so, so he sent a delegation to, to come meet with Hezekiah and to, to bring gifts and, and to see what was going on. And... And, and just to, to pay a little visit, but I think the king of Babylon had other things on his mind. And Hezekiah did not at all handle the situation well. I believe by this point he was beginning to fill up with pride. I think he felt like he was a bit self-made. Um, God had blessed him. God had protected him. God had led the children of Judah. And, and it went, I believe it started to go to his head. 
and he forgot that just as easily as God can give him things, God can take them all away. Another, another thing that he did not do when the, the entourage from Babylon showed up is he did not, he, he didn't go ask Isaiah how he should handle this question. And so problems began to occur here in, in, uh, in the kingdom. I believe he was happy to show him around. He showed him everything that he had. And, and I think he was excited that people came from a long ways away to pay him a visit. And he felt, he felt pretty proud about his situation. I think we'd be shocked if, if uh, some enemies of the U.S. would show up and, and bring some gifts. And, and, and our president would show them through the Pentagon and show them our secrets and how we figure out our secrets. We just wouldn't do that. But yet, Hezekiah showed them everything that was in his house. And then we, then we see in uh, verse 14 of 2 Kings 20, it says, Then came Isaiah the prophet to King Hezekiah and said unto him, What said these men, and from whence came they unto thee? And he began to ask some questions. He said, What have they seen? And Hezekiah said, They've seen everything. And Isaiah said, Well, they're going to take everything, if I, if I would paraphrase the next few verses. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store unto this day shall be carried into Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And he talked about his sons being taken from him and becoming eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon, which... Daniel was taken, right? Daniel was a descendant of Hezekiah and served the king of Babylon. But then we see in 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verse 26, it says, Hezekiah humbled himself, and the wrath of God did not come on Hezekiah during his days. 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 19, And Hezekiah said unto Isaiah, Good is the Lord, good is the word of the Lord, which, has, which thou hast spoken. And he said, Is it not good if peace and truth be in my days? In other words, this isn't going to happen when I'm around. I'm at least going to have peace in my days. This is for after I'm gone. I won't have to deal with it. So, so we, we, we think of this thing of, of bringing the, the entourage from Babylon in to look through his kingdom, and it's just showing around what he has, maybe showing off what he has, but yet God knew his heart and that he had, had turned from him and become proud and felt like this was his success and not God's success. So that's the story of Hezekiah and... Uh, as it says in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, these things were written for our learning. So what can we learn from, from the life of Hezekiah? And there's a number of things that we can learn. I think we can learn a lot just from how Hezekiah chose to serve the Lord and served him faithfully.
how he, when he was in the middle of trouble, brought the letter to God and spread it out before God and said, can you help us? We don't know what to do. He, he brought his, his troubles to God. <clears throat> I don't know if it's a good idea to, for Hezekiah to ask for more time. Um, inside each one of us, we, we don't want to die, do we? We want to stay. And so in that way, I believe Hezekiah was very normal. And, and yet, I don't know that it was a great idea for God to extend Hezekiah's life but he did. <clears throat> he gave Hezekiah a chance, and, and he tested Hezekiah, which did not turn out, turn out very well. Three years after Hezekiah's life was extended, his son <clears throat> Manasseh was born. Three years after his life was extended, and Hezekiah, or Manasseh, was wicked and worshipped idols, and he was the next king of Judah and he suffered a lot of affliction and hard times till later in life he came to God and began to serve him. I think another lesson we can learn is that times of blessing and peace are often much more dangerous for us spiritually than times of trials. Hezekiah was tempted just like Jesus was tempted with the pride of life. <coughs> and I believe later in life, he turned from being a God pleaser to being a, a man pleaser and put a lot of stock into what other people had to say about him. We see Hezekiah gone through life restoring the, the children of Judah back to God and worshiping God and praying. It talks about Hezekiah and prayer and how he went to God and yet our hearts over time can turn from God. I think we can also learn that although there's consequences for sin, and we have a humble and contrite heart, God can restore us. <clears throat> Jason read in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he, he read about Paul. And when we think of the Apostle Paul, Paul was one of those men who, who could care less what people had to say. He, he cared about what God had to say. So the way people treated Paul was irrelevant. In fact, he, he gloried in his infirmities. He wanted God to take away his thorn in the flesh, but he gloried in his infirmities. And I believe in verse 9, it, it maybe, maybe uh, encapsulates what he's trying to say. My, gra my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Much gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And he goes on to say, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches in necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. There's just so much truth in, in those verses as Paul describes his life. <clears throat> So my prayer is that for each one of us, for us as a church, that in our affluence and in the blessings of our heritage, our community, that we will keep our relationship with the Lord strong and that he will have our whole heart and we won't begin to think that 
this is all of our doings that we have what we have and that we're blessed the way we are. Let's kneel for prayer.